Well, good morning, everybody. It's nice to be back here with you. Last time I spoke, it was uh, through the telephone. So this time it's in person, face to face. And we have a real privilege in this country of being able to gather like this because there's so many other places in the world where they can't do this because of the COVID-19 thing. This morning we're going to um, speak on 1 Peter chapter 5. And uh, you might get the idea that uh, if you look at these verses that I'm just aiming them at the uh, pastor who's not here and the elders. That's actually not what I'm going to do this morning. I'm actually going to direct this message to all of us because it's important for all of us to uh, understand what it is that God expects of our leaders and uh, what we are to do of them. I've got a couple of questions for you first. What do you call a chicken who's crossing the road? It's poultry in motion. The older ones will understand that one. Um, what do you call a boomerang that doesn't work? It's a stick. And uh, what do you call cheese that isn't yours? It's nacho cheese. Nacho cheese. Okay. What do you call a Christian who isn't serving? A contradiction. We call a Christian who isn't serving a contradiction because we were saved by Christ in order to serve him. He saved us to serve. That's why a Christian who isn't serving in some way in or through the local church is a contradiction. To be a Christian is to be a follower of Christ. And if you are a follower of Christ, you want to serve him because he said this in John chapter 14 verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And he goes on to say, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so love one another, verse 34 of John 13. And uh, verse 35, he continues by saying this, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love, one, if you love one another. And this is the command to believe in the name of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us, 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. So there's a consistency in what the Lord said and what his disciple John spoke later on when he wrote his letters. Romans 12, verse 10 says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. That was the Apostle Paul writing. He goes on in Galatians 5 verse 13, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. In Romans 13 verse 8, he say, the Apostle Paul says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt, of love, uh, continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. So this is an expectation that the Lord has of each one of us who call ourselves Christians. And the word that he uses to here as, as love is the agape love, which is mean doing something without expecting anything in return. We demonstrate this love by serving. Being a follower of Christ means that you are a servant of Christ. And today, from this passage that we're looking at in 1 Peter Chapter 5, we want to take this passage and apply it to the larger theme of servant leadership and answer the question, 
how can I personally serve and help my church? So in 1 Peter chapter 5, let's read the first four verses together. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now, although these verses are directed at the um, leadership of the church, the local church, to each one of us. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says, Here is a trustworthy Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now, this word overseer can be translated in lots of different ways and different versions use a whole lot of different words and I'll put them up there on the screen for you to see some of the translations. We have bishop and superintendent and supervisor and elder and pastor and all sorts of different things to describe what this role of leadership is. We can all aspire to these roles and it's a good thing to aspire to. But before we can be appointed in any church leadership role, we need to be already demonstrating and by the way that we live our lives that we are qualified to serve. It's a good thing to aspire to a role of leadership. And it's not just the elders and the deacons and the pastor who are in roles of leadership. You who are parents, you are a, a leadership in a leadership role with your family. You who are looking after the children out the back, you who are leading um, your study groups and so on through the week. There are lots of roles of leadership that we have been called to do and serve in the church. And so this is a message to all of us. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care. Now, I'm not a Bible teacher because this is what I chose to do. There are probably lots of different things that I would prefer to do rather than standing up here in front of a crowd of people. But God called me to preach the word of God. So I serve willingly because I know that this is my calling and I enjoy the discipline of preparation. It's good for me to serve in this way. Ephesians 4 verse 7 says, However, God has given each one of us special gifts through the generosity of Christ. Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. And their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. And this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. You see, God's given to each one of us as individuals spiritual gifts. He's given us natural talents. And we are to use these for the glory of Christ to build each other up in, in unity. Romans 12 verses 6 to 8 says that we, have, we all have, or we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Notice the words, each of us. It, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. 
If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. There are more spiritual gifts listed in 1 Corinthians 12, and I believe that these lists are not exhaustive. Today, there are many modern gifts uh, that were unheard of in Peter's time. For example, the gift of uh, radio or television presenting or recording or transmission or these guys down the back who are looking after the sound system. There are all sorts of different gifts. In our church over in at, um, Jester Street Bible Church, some years ago, my, um, my brother's father-in-law and mother-in-law used to attend that church. And his name, or their names, were Harry and May Yeoman. I don't know whether any of you have ever heard of them, but they spent 41 years overseas as missionaries uh, working with HCJB, which is the World Missionary F Fellowship, uh, Radio Fellowship. They spent many years over in uh, Ecuador and in Europe and in Guam. Now, someone who didn't know Harry or his history came up to him one day and they said to him, man, you've got a beautiful speaking voice. You'd make a great radio announcer. <laughs> they had no idea that that's what he'd been doing for 41 years. But anyway, it was a recognized gift that he had. His speech was amazing. He could speak and enunciate words very, very clearly. And he had just had that way of delivering things. It was a wonderful gift that he had. The trouble is today... Many of us don't know what our spiritual gifts are, and so we don't use them. Worse still, there are some who know what their spiritual gifts are, and they're not willing to use them, even though they were given to them by God to edify and build up the body of Christ, the local church. Why does this happen? Well, some may feel unworthy and inadequate. Some may feel that it will cost them too much. Some may feel that it will require too much in the way of sacrifice. Sadly, some have been criticized and have become very self-conscious and they won't use their gift for fear of being criticized and belittled again. On and on the list could go, but the scripture is very clear that if we have been called to serve and if we have talents and abilities and gifts to serve, that we must not reject his um, call to service. In verse 2 of 1 Peter 5, it says, willing as God wants you to be. God wants you to willingly use your spiritual gifts. It's God's desire that you surrender your life and your talents to Him. He wants you to use your abilities so that they can be work, that you can work in God's service to give Him the glory. So we need to surrender willingly, not because we're forced to, but because we are eager to help to accomplish His goals. That brings me to my second point. Help your church by serving eagerly, verse 2. Now, I don't know about you, but I love to watch a new Christian, somebody who's recently given their life to the church and you see, to the Lord, and you see how enthusiastic they are. Um, we had a guy called David DeRolls that came to know the Lord. He was a, 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 um, a hitchhiker and one picked him up one day on the side of the road and started speaking to him about the Lord. And he came to know the Lord. And this guy came along to our church and um, he was just so keen, so eager. And you couldn't stop the guy sharing the gospel with other people. He was amazing. And he still is an amazing guy. He lives down in Christchurch nowadays working with one of the assemblies down there. But his faith and his desire to share his faith was just um, infectious. How do we get to the point in our Christian lives where 
we lose that eagerness to serve. You see, there's a flip side to the eager person, the person who does the type of service because no one else wants to do it. And so often the act of service is done without any heartfelt sense of it, service to God. We do it because even though that we don't feel called to do it, we need to do it because nobody else is doing it. Somebody else with the gift that God has called could be doing it, but they're not. And so we feel that we have to step in and uh, get that done. And we had an example of that in our church where um, the Sunday school, for example, was not um, operating very well. And so uh, the person who stepped in was Alice, and she didn't really have uh, the gift of working with children. And uh, it took quite a while for things to, or for people to recognize that she, that's not where her gift was. And so other people have now stepped in and are helping, which is great. You know, the Lord sees a need. But when we see that need and try and do it ourselves, by ourselves, in our own strength, it doesn't work. So we, that's why we need all of us, not just the 20% who do 80% of the work. All of us should be eager to serve. We should be eager and willing to serve using the gifts that the Lord has given to us. The third point I want to pull out of these verses is, Help your church by serving as an example to others. Verse 3, not lording it over those who are entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. This is what really hurts the church in the eyes of the world. The world is very quick to spot hypocrisy. If what we do on Sunday while here in church doesn't match the way that we live our lives during the rest of the week, people will quickly spot and, and, and identify that as hypocrisy. If I'm going to be an example, then my walk must match my talk, and my talk will match my walk. Titus verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 7 says, In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness. If I'm going to be an example for others, I need to truly be a person of integrity. And integrity means that you are the same person when no one is looking. With us as believers, the person that we are on Sunday needs to be the same person that we are on Monday when we join our workmates or our classmates at school or wherever we are um, serving. If I'm going to be a help to my church, I need to serve as an example to others. The fourth point is that helping your church will ensure a heavenly reward. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Whether it's an event like preparing a Sunday school lesson or going over a song or praying with someone or coming and doing the cleaning, whatever you are doing, if you're visiting the hurting or visiting the sick, if you're providing a meal for somebody quietly, nobody else sees it. But God does and he will reward your faithfulness. Whatever we do for God, for his glory, and not for ours, will be rewarded. I'm sure each one and every one of us would love to hear the Lord say to us when we meet him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've done everything that I asked you to do. You've used the equipment that I gave to you. You used every talent, your abilities, Every ability that I allowed you to have or to learn, every opportunity I set before you to serve, you took it. Well done. 
Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6 verse 8, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good they do, whether slave or free. God sees what you do and he understands the attitude of your heart and why you do it. And he is faithful and he will reward you for what you have done for him here on earth. Serve by helping your church, by serving in whatever way that God has called you and equipped you to serve. If God is calling you to use your talents and gifts, you need to answer the call and use your talent in service of the king. Why? So that your father is glorified and he in turn will reward you in heaven. It's a story about a farmer who, after lightning struck an old shed and burnt it to the ground, relieved actually because uh, now he didn't have to pull the shed down. And because uh, it was quite a big storm, the, the rain cleaned the mud off his car and that saved him from having to wash it. And so someone said to him, well, what are you doing now? And he replied, well, I'm just waiting for an earthquake to shake the potatoes out of the ground. <laughs> if you want to become servants, don't just wait for something to happen. Jesus said, we are blessed when we do something. And so let me give you four action steps to follow. Serve wherever you can. Serve, sorry, whenever you can. Serve wherever you can. Serve whoever is in need and be willing to do whatever it takes. Live your life as an obedient and humble servant. Don't be a contradiction. The second part of my message this morning concerns a warning. And it's a warning for each one of us. Peter goes on to warn us that we are going to be, if we're going to be serious about serving the Lord, we have an enemy who will do all in his power to stop us. There was a song that went something like this, In the jungle, the mighty jungle, the lions... Do you recognize the words of that once popular song? Well, while it's true that most lions do a lot of sleeping, in our sermon text, the Apostle Peter talks about a lion that doesn't sleep. He says that this lion has been devouring the unsuspecting prey from the beginning of time and he remains on the prowl. That lion, of course, is the devil and his aim is to take as many with him to hell as he can. Since the devil is out to get us, it would be good to know what makes us lion alert and not lion desert. The Apostle Peter will show us that there are five things that we need to keep us as lion uh, alert or four things that we're going to look at this morning. Let's read First Peter 5 from verse 5. In the same way you who are younger, submit yourselves to the, your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So the first point here we need to do in being lion alert is to be living a humble life. He says, all of you are to clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Humility is the opposite to pride. And it was pride that got Satan kicked out of heaven in Isaiah 14. We're taught from the scriptures that 
It is pride in our lives that goes before destruction. Proverbs 16 verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Being proud is the exact opposite of being humble. When we become proud of our achievements and start taking um, the glory for what we have done instead of uh, giving it to God who gives us the strength and the ability to do these things, we need to be on our guard. When we hear of others who fail and start to think to ourselves, oh, I could never fail like that. I mean, what a terrible thing to happen to somebody. Be careful because the enemy, like a roaring lion, is waiting to trip us up. He's waiting to cause us to fall. He wants to destroy our testimony. Do you know how a lion hunts? Kenua, who's our pastor over at uh, Ingester Street, he's a, um, a man who comes from, from Kenya. And they have lions in the wild over there. And so I, I had to talk to him about this before I made these statements. And he agreed that this is how they work. Lions get down low to the ground and make themselves look as small as possible. They rely on their camouflage. Can you see the lion in that picture? Some can, some can't. Bring it in closer. Did we get to the third one? Yeah. There it is, sitting in the shadows. Very, very hard to see. They rely on their camouflage to conceal themselves so that they blend into the background and can't be seen. And they sit downwind of the prey so that the animal they are hunting is unaware of their presence until it's too late. The funny thing about a lion's prey is that nearly all of them can outrun a lion as long as they get a good head start because the lion is pretty quick to start with but it runs out of puff very quickly. That's why the lion is hiding until the prey is close enough to spring out and catch the prey unawares before it can react and start to run. And you can see there the lion trying to trip the animal up. All the lion needs to do is to get close enough to trip those legs and as they run, the, the prey stumbles and falls and by then it's too late and the next thing you know the lion has got the animal and it's dead meat. I'm not sure if you know this or not but the roaring lion is working in conjunction with the animal that was in hiding. The roaring lion moves upwind of the prey and it draws attention to itself by making a roaring noise and mooching along as if it's not hungry. So trying to trick the prey into thinking that there's nothing to worry about. These guys are full. They, they're not going to catch me. And uh, I just make my way downwind from them. Sneak along. But what you don't realise is that they're moving into a trap because there's the lion sitting and waiting for them. The prey is unaware of the presence of the, the waiting lion and so it keeps a wary eye on the lion that's making all the noise when there's a trap waiting for them. <clears throat> the watching lion is analysing the herd. It's trying to identify any animal that's showing any sign of weakness. <clears throat> However, Satan doesn't tend to do that. He's not always looking for the weak. He can do more damage to the flock if he gets the leadership. If he can take the leaders of the church down... He can scatter the flock and do a great damage. And that's how Satan works with us. He targets those who are a threat to his kingdom. 
those who are on, who are on fire for the Lord, those in leadership roles, those who are serious about serving. So often we see the signs of Satan around us and we're, we move oblivious away from those signs to, into the trap that he's setting on our way. It's not so much the roaring lion, the obvious satanic activity that we see around us. We can become complacent and think that we are safe, but he is pushing us in another direction so that he can trip us up and destroy our testimony. We allow ourselves to get too close to sin because in our pride we think that we could never fail or fall in that way. The young lady says, well, I can kiss him in his car. I won't let it go too far. But nine months later, she's trying to figure out how to raise a child and finish school. No preacher ever set out to fall into sin, but so many of the slickest ones have fallen. I think of ones like Jimmy Swaggart, the television evangelist. I think we've got a picture of him coming up there somewhere. His involvement with prostitutes brought him and his ministry down. Jim and Tammy Baker were found guilty of fraud and Jim of sexual immorality and misconduct, including homosexual allegations. Now, ironically, these accusations were used by Jimmy Swagger to bring the Bakers down before he too was snared in the same trap. In New Zealand, we had a guy called Graham Capel, who was the leader of the Christian Heritage Party. He was sent to jail in 2005 for committing sex crimes against young girls. He was a very high public figure. Satan took him out and destroyed the Christian Heritage Party and the Christian vote. I don't know how many of you read yesterday's Chronicle, but there was an article in there about the Assemblies of God in New Zealand and some of the leadership um, problems that were had um, and some of their earlier leaders. Reading it was a sad commentary. And these are just the tip of the iceberg. Consider the incredible damage that was done to the church by Satan tripping up these men in such terrible sin. And we sit here and think, oh, I could never do that. But he's looking at you, he's looking at me, and he's identifying those things in our lives where our weaknesses are, and he'll exploit them and use them to trip us up and to do as much damage to our Christian testimony as he possibly can. So if we're going to live on full lion alert, how can we... Stop falling into temptation. Well, the first thing is that we must live a humble life under God's mighty hand because none of us, none of us are above falling into sin. We must humble our lives, realizing who we are as fallen creatures. We need to rely on the almighty power of God to stand up to the temptations and find the way of escape that he promises us in 1 Corinthians 10 verse. And I think every Christian should know this verse by heart. All of us need to cling on to the promise that God has made in this verse. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Hold on to that verse. Hold on to that promise. When you're in a situation where you're tempted to fall into sin, remember that there is a way out. You don't have to fall into sin. If we can humbly claim that promise and look actively for the way of escape, it is only then that we can live on full lion alert. The second aspect of being on lion alert is to live life without second-guessing God. 
He asks us to cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for you. Cast all your anxiety on him. When we cast our cares or anxieties on the Lord, that makes us lie and alert because the devil likes to use our cares and our concerns to get us to second guess and doubt God. Right from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, did God really say, is what he said to, uh, to Eve. And he's saying that to us, does God really care for you? I mean, look at your life. It's a real mess. How could God love you? The word anxiety means diversion. He's trying to divert us away from our Savior. And it's the same word that was used in the story of Mary and Martha. As Mary sat at Jesus' feet, Martha was fussing about in the kitchen, worrying about whether or not there would be enough food to eat. And she became so concerned about this that she actually went and complained to the Lord. See, her cares, her cares and her concerns diverted her attention from listening to what Jesus was saying. And in the end, she complained that Mary wasn't doing her part to help her. And that's how the devil works. He continues to plant diversions in our lives, doesn't he? Maybe it's the exams that are coming up. Maybe it's getting that report finished for the boss. Is it the prospect of uh, starting a new job or the stress of worrying about losing the one that you have got? Satan will stop at nothing to get us to rely on ourselves instead of on God so that we end up worrying. Don't become lion desert, but remain alert by believing God and truly casting your cares upon him. There's no better place to take your cares and your worries than to Jesus. And he's promised to take care of you. He's promised never to leave you or to forsake you. Therefore, take every care and concern that you've got and pack them one by one into a bag and give it to Jesus. God will take care of our problems better than we ever can. So what's the use of worrying about them if we've handed them over to him? Now that sounds easy to do, doesn't it? But you know what often happens? We carefully pack all our cares and our concerns into into that bag and we take them to Jesus and then we don't let go of the strap. We're still hanging on. We think that if we don't at least keep an eye on it, um, our problems will never get solved. Therefore, instead of letting God carry our problems and lead where we should go, we try and lead God and end up treating him like a pack animal. That's not the way that we remain lion alert. Let the Lord bear your burdens and let the Lord lead. The third point is to live with an understanding of who the enemy is. He tells us to be self-controlled and he warns us about the devil. In order to live on full line alert, we need to understand our enemy is not other people. It's not the preacher. It's not your pastor. It's not the church or anyone else in your family. The real enemy is Satan. His desire is to destroy you. And we need to understand our enemy. Satan is going to search out for your weaknesses and he will try and move you away from the herd that is the local church where you will no longer have the protection of the crowd to help alert you to his attack. You see, when the animals are together, they're all looking for the lion. When we're together as a church, as a body of Christ, we're all there to identify what Satan is doing against us. And we need to alert the one that's wandering away. Hey, come on back. Encourage them to come back and, and, and enjoy the, um, the, the safety of the crowd. 
Satan doesn't play fair. We're going to be on full line alert. We need to understand his, him and his tactics. The fourth thing is we need to live with an understanding of who God is. The God of all grace who called you in, in, to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. When you fall, turn to Jesus for forgiveness. He has defeated the devil by refusing to fall for any of his tricks. He undid the devil's handiwork by taking his puni the punishment of hell that we all deserved. Can you imagine how disappointed the devil must have been from the dead I don't think that was part of his plan here he thought he had defeated God's son but in reality he himself had been totally defeated and since the devil could not defeat Jesus he has reverted to plan B he attacks us the crown of God's creation be ready for those attacks the devil doesn't want you to believe that Jesus won forgiveness for you he will bring out past sins against you and shake them in your face and say, how could God love someone so filthy as you? The answer is the one word that can topple Satan, and that is Jesus. Through Christ, we have the victory. Through Christ, God will restore us to the glory that God intended his people to have before sin entered the world. Through Christ, God has made us strong so that we can carry out the works that please him. Satan asks, how could God love you? God loves you because of Jesus. If we remain in Christ, the lion's roar will sound more like the whimper of an annoying dog. We need to live with an understanding of who God is and how he has won the victory for us. He is almighty and all-powerful and all-forgiving. So in summary, what have we lived, what have we learned this morning? As Christians, we're all called to serve. It's not just the elders, the pastor. It's all of us. We all need to be serving willingly. We need to serve eagerly. We need to serve as an example to others. And God will reward our service. And the warning, the enemy is working against us. So we need to be lion alert by being humble, by living humble lives, by not second guessing God by understanding who the enemy is and understanding who God is. Now God, help you this week as you go out into this world and as you face whatever life brings against you this week, we pray that you will remember that God has won the victory for us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we are lion alert, we won't be lion desert. Thank you and God bless.